If you can find your way to Philippians chapter 4, whether you have a Bible or a phone that has your Bible, if you don't have either of those, there's one sitting around you somewhere, it's red, Uh, so uh, just flip it near the back to Philippians chapter 4. Today we're going to finish Philippians, um, and we're keeping with that theme um, of Emmanuel, the reality of Christ of God with us, and how it fleshes out uh, and our life today. So um, it's kind of an unusual Advent series, but it's a good one, (laughs) I think anyway. So I know I shouldn't say that. Some of you have said it, so it's all right. Okay. Picking up verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no other church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus, The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Christmas is one of those strange times of year because if you're like me, you have probably been inundated with requests for your money. It seems like not a day can go by. It's almost like political season. You can't avoid getting four things in the mail. Well, it's Christmas time, so it seems like you can't avoid getting at least one or two pieces of mail from a ministry of some sort looking for you to support them. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but there's something that goes on in our hearts uh, that hits a reality that don't I have needs too? (laughs) You know, how much... This is messing with my head. The lack of symmetry is causing dissonance in my brain. Sorry. Um, But we hit that struggle, that fear, that perhaps um, if, if we give too much, we won't have enough for ourselves. And that's part of a starting point that I want us to kind of go from... But what I want us to see most clearly as we start all of this is the sufficiency of Christ. You see, here we have in this context that the Philippians had sent Paul a gift through this man, Epaphroditus, a man who still was in Rome with Paul but was about to be sent back with a letter because he had gotten ill, so he hadn't returned earlier. 
And we see, uh, we saw last week and talked a lot about how Jesus had strengthened the Philippian Christians to give to Paul, just as that same Jesus had strengthened Paul to live, whether he was in a situation of want or a situation of plenty. And so we see the, the strengthening of Christians taking place. The Philippians really needed to know more about how trustworthy Jesus really is. And I think that is something that's similar for us. We continually need to learn more about how trustworthy Jesus is. And part of that is our forgetfulness, but also the reality of our continued sinfulness that suppresses the truth and neglects the fact of Christ's sufficiency. Remember, our our sinful nature opposes our growth in Christ at every step, just as much as the Holy Spirit strives within us for that same growth as we see in Galatians 5. Paul, I think, hits it right there in this very simple sentence that ought to stun us in many ways. My God will supply every need of yours. Paul gets right here to theology in real life. He's he's wanting them to know that the Father has taken over responsibility for their needs as his concern. That though they have been generous with him, that God will continue to supply them, not just once, but daily will be supplying them with the, uh, supplying the needs that they have. Supply is sort of a vague word in English. In Greek, this word has the connotation of abundance, has the connotation of overflowing. And so the, the idea is not God will, will give you just kind of what you need to get by, but rather there's going to be an abundant flow that will sustain you in the midst of your needs. In other words, God is not cash-strapped. God is not stingy. God is not hard-hearted. God is not selfish. Okay? But... The other key word there is need. We see this reflected in the Lord's Prayer, which we prayed a few moments ago, but in Matthew 6, give us this day our daily bread. In other words, give us what we need for today. A position of um, expressing our need and our inability to fully get all that we want, our dependence upon God. And what Paul is getting at here is not our dependence on God, but God's fulfillment, that he is dependable for us to rely upon. Needs are essentially what is basic to living, the the food, the clothing, the shelter that we need. It's not about every want. It's not about naming it and claiming it in the name of Jesus. That's not what Paul is getting at. That's not what I am getting at in any way, shape, or form. The focus is on that daily bread, that need that we have. I remember when I was in seminary, a friend of mine had a BMW M3. 
I wanted his BMW M3. It was not God's will that I have a BMW M3. And that was okay. My little Paseo did me right. Okay? God provided for my need. He did not provide for my want. And that's the way he is. Has been and shall be. But note that Paul continues here, not only will he supply every need of yours, but he supplies it according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so once again, the emphasis is placed upon the abundance, not just of God's supply, but the abundance here of God's resources. It's amazing. He supplies out of his abundant riches, I mentioned already earlier today, Psalm 50, for every beast on the, of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. There, there is abundance in what God has at his resources because he is the creator of everything. And of course, he created everything out of nothing. And so God has the capacity to supply our needs precisely because he is the creator ex nihilo. But this goes beyond that. We see in places like Ephesians uh, that there, there is great stress that is placed upon the riches of his mercy in chapter 2. The, the riches of his spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in chapter 1 as Paul brings, uh, begins his prayer in verse 3. We see the riches of his grace. We see the riches of his kindness. It is out of that vast supply that the Father grants us the mercy, the grace, the kindness, and the other spiritual blessings that we need because we need far more than money. We have great need of these things as well. In fact, I would say we have greater need of these things, and He is rich in His supply of them and His willingness to make them overflow to us. But part of that phrase that Paul has at the end of that sentence is that these come to us in Christ Jesus. These are available to us only by our union with Jesus Christ by faith. We receive not just Him, but we receive all of these things by faith. In 1 Corinthians 1, for instance, we see how in Christ we have wisdom righteousness, sanctification, and redemption from God. But not only that, it goes farther and says, Christ is these things for us. Christ is our wisdom. Christ is our righteousness. Christ is our sanctification. Christ, our redemption. My daughter and I, to kind of illustrate this a little bit, watching about World War II, I'm glad she's interested in that as a semi-history buff myself. And one of the episodes we watched had to do with the Eastern Front, and what you saw was Hitler kept changing where he was going precisely because Hitler needed fuel. Supply lines. When we don't have the adequate supplies, we become erratic we become uh, incomprehensible, and we actually end up doing damage to ourselves, and that was part of how Hitler lost the Eastern Front. We have a steady supply 
in Christ Jesus. We don't need to be erratic. We don't need to be fearful. We don't need to be jumping all over the place. We see further that Paul says to our God and Father be glory for this very reason that He is graciously giving us all of these things according to our need in His Son whom He has given precisely to enrich us. Another way of understanding this is given to us by Jesus Himself with the illustration in John's Gospel of I am the vine and you are the branches. The branches receive life from the vine and therefore they bear fruit from the power they receive, from the life they receive from the vine. It's not the branches that give life to the vine, but the vine that gives life to the branches. And so Jesus continues to sustain us, to supply us with all of the spiritual blessings that we need as well as making provision for our material needs. Sinclair Ferguson notes that the weakest faith gets the same strong Christ as does the strongest faith. And so it's not a question of how strong your faith is, it's a question of how strong the one you believe in is. And he is able, more than able, to do all of these things. And so God receives glory because we give out of what we have received, even though it's not our own wealth. And so the Father supplies our needs in Emmanuel, God with us. Now, because He supplies our needs in Emmanuel, that kind of causes a question in my mind, and perhaps this comes to you, and now we're going to get to the earlier part of the text. If God is sovereign, and if God supplies our needs, why is it that I am called to give to others? Shouldn't I just expect God to take care of it? Paul, again, explains that his own contentment, okay, did not mean that Paul was uh, ungrateful to the Philippians. Okay? In in his talk of discussion, the Philippians might think, well, why did we bother sending him this gift? Uh, And he says, he reminds them, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And so we have two aspects of this. We have the kindness of the Philippians towards Paul, which reflects the kindness of Jesus towards Paul. But we also have the reality of that that word to share, that word that really points to fellowship, partnership. Okay, And so their generosity was an expression of their gospel partnership with Paul. Their, their fellowship in the gospel with Paul. That they're on the same side. That they're working together. And therefore, they cared about how he was doing and they wanted him to be doing well. And so we should recognize from this that Paul is not, of course, chastising, but he's saying you've done the right thing, you've done well, as some translations put it, in doing this. Why is it that? Why does he say that? It's precisely because Emmanuel 
can provide and often does provide our needs directly, but he also does and often does provide for our needs through other people. A couple of quick things connected to that. Uh, during our transition, we, of course, adopted Eli uh, early in the year, and so um, the health insurance deductible was paid and because he had surgery. But we anticipated more surgery in that year, and my severance package ended, which means my insurance was about to end. And one of our gospel partners paid for his insurance the rest of the year so that we didn't have to worry about the surgeries that were coming. What an awesome blessing. That person had moved away and they, they, they weren't a part of our church anymore at the end, but they loved us and they cared for us and the, in this child they had never met. What a beautiful picture of what a gospel partnership is intended to be like. We see a similar thing repeatedly in the life of George Mueller. Sorry, Miller. It's a German thingy. Gets me all the time. Of course, he, though he was German, he, he had moved to England and um, was found by Jesus in England. And one of the things as he began ministry was he was never going to ask anybody for anything. He was only going to pray about it. So the only person he was going to ask was his heavenly father. And if you read any, any of the biographies about George Miller, you find God's incredible provision again and again and again and again. And there's so many stories you could tell, but I'm going to tell one. And that was, he had woken up one morning to the realization that there was nothing in the cupboard for the orphans. Okay? At this point in his life, he's running an orphanage for a large number of children, and there's no, nothing for them to eat. Shortly before breakfast, he hears a knocking on the door. It's the baker. All night long. I've been thinking you don't have food for the kids. And he didn't know this. Here. And he gives them bread and pastries for the children. Shortly thereafter, he hears the knocking again. And it's the milkman. Remember those days when they were milkmen? Some of us who are older remember this. You didn't have to go to the grocery store. Uh, but of course, this is the 19th century, so it's a cart, not a car or a truck. But his cart had broken down directly in front of the orphanage. And in order for him to be able to move his cart so he could repair his cart, he had to take everything off, and of course it would spoil. And so he says, I have milk in, in products for you. Take it. And so God supplied the needs of George Miller and the orphans repeatedly through his people in strange, unusual ways. This is a reflection of what we see in Galatians 6 when we're called to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Part of the uniqueness of the Philippian church, Paul says, is that they were the only church to partner with him in this particular way. He received the prayers of other, other churches, but in this matter of giving and receiving, this matter of financial uh, stewardship, uh, this was the only church that was supplying him with finances. They gave to Paul in Thessalonica, and now they see, we see that he, they give to him while he's in prison in Rome. And I'm grateful that Desert Springs 
follows the pattern of the Philippians. We have a gospel partnership, not with apostles, but with people like the McMahons, the Calls in Uruguay, um, the Smiths and the Smiths uh, at uh, Midtown, as well as uh, RUF, and uh, Enrique Gonzalez with um, Corazon Ministries. We have a, go- a gospel partnership with these people. We're sharing in their ministry in part by meeting their needs. Paul declares that he was well supplied by the Philippians. He wants them to know not only did they do well, but that by their actions he was well supplied. Not partially supplied, not, oh, it's nice to get a dollar. Uh, But really, he was very content in what he saw as an abundance of kindness on the part of the Philippians. We help to supply others for the gospel. Let's get back to what we talked about in the first part. The only way we can supply others well is if we believe that God will well supply us. The only thing that frees our hearts to be generous is if we believe that God will indeed continue to supply our needs in Christ Jesus. We're only able to do this if we believe He already has and will continue to supply us in Christ. How does Paul think of these offerings? In addition to them doing well or being kind, he he draws on some sacrificial language when he says that it's a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. So it wasn't just pleasing to Paul, but he said he's declaring by faith that this was also pleasing to God the Father. Again, that language from Exodus, that language from Leviticus about the well-pleasing offering, the, the fragrant aroma that rises into God's presence. It's, of course, in my mind, connected to grilling steak. When you open that grill and the aroma of that cooking steak hits the knob, oh, that's a, to me, that is a well-pleasing aroma. And the gift of the Philippians to Paul was like that well-pleasing aroma. It brought the Father joy to know that this was happening. And he's pleased. But it's, that language is not simply found with regard to the sacrifices in Exodus and Leviticus. We see Paul using this in Ephesians chapter 5 to describe Jesus' sacrifice. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus' sacrifice was well-pleasing to the Father. But here's where I'm going with this. In that context, Paul in in Ephesians 5 says, and walk in love as Christ loved us, meaning that they were meant to imitate the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ, and just as that was pleasing to the Father when Jesus did it, it's pleasing to the Father when we do it. When we walk in love and we express generosity to others, when we bear the burdens of others with them, 
And so the Father is pleased when we walk in love by supporting gospel partners. The Father is pleased when we walk by faith, trusting that he will supply our needs too. And so we see that Emmanuel supplies some needs through gospel partners. Another question that I ask that anticipates the answers that Paul is about to give here is, does our generosity do any earthly or heavenly good? What's, What's going on when we give besides the fact that God is pleased? Or in addition to the fact that God is pleased? Well, Paul indicates that they received some benefit. Paul again, is guarding from, the, uh, guarding from the accusation that he's greedy or that he just wants more gifts from the Philippians. But he says he doesn't seek more money, but he seeks that the fruit uh, that increased to your credit. The idea that they're going to receive fruit from their gift that there's going to be benefit or something resultant to them. They're going to receive a reward, is another word for fruit, for their gift. This, I think, the statement of Paul, uh, I believe, reflects what uh, Jesus says in Luke 12 when he says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. And so Paul, if you want to use the language of Jesus, is uh, saying that the Philippians were storing up treasures in heaven. He longs for their hearts to be set on storing up their treasures in heaven, precisely as Jesus says, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And earthly treasures, and a, and a focus on earthly treasures can weigh us down spiritually. Heavenly treasure is a secure treasure. It's untouched by thieves, by inflation, stock market runs, Accidents, wear and tear. I like how uh, Chan and Marita put it, worship God with your money, but don't worship money. So money, uh, wealth, is a means for our worship to take place, uh, but we have to be careful that we don't begin to worship it as though it itself is the answer to our need instead of Christ being the answer to our need. Again, pointing to the direction of one's life, the concern of one's soul, is Jesus greater than money? When you go look at the Old Testament, particularly in Proverbs, what you find is that the righteous person is often described as one who lends to the poor and is repaid by God. You see that particularly in Proverbs 19, verse 17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deeds. And so we see that 
what Paul says is rooted in what Jesus said, and what Jesus said is what Jesus said earlier in Proverbs. So there's also a heavenly fruit to the advance of the gospel which Paul rejoiced in. It's interesting that he, in his greetings, as we wrap this up, he talks about every saint that is in Christ Jesus, the brothers who, who are with me, and all the saints greet you. And so he's alluding to the fact of the progress of the gospel there in Rome, which they share in precisely because they have been supporting Paul for the gospel. But here comes what I think is the golden nugget in it. Especially those of Caesar's household. Chapter 1, he had talked about that the gospel had been made known among the Praetorian Guard, the, the, the soldiers that had guarded him, but now we know that the gospel has penetrated the very home of Nero, Caesar. One of the most corrupt and immoral people who has ever lived. If you're going to have your top ten list of most despicable people of, of history, see this, this Caesar has to be on it. He was guilty of numerous perversions. He was also guilty of numerous persecutions against God's people, falsely accusing them of burning down Rome and then using some of them as human torches to light up his garden. He was an immensely wicked man. And yet, even in his household, and we're not sure if this is family members or whether this is servants or slaves within his household, but still, the gospel has penetrated the heart of Rome. Even Nero could not stop the gospel from entering his own domicile. God will convert and transform unlikely people in unlikely places. Another example of that is Rosaria Butterfield, lesbian professor of English and queer theory and at Syracuse University, you'd think would be impenetrable to the, by the gospel. I mean, she's as left and radical as you could possibly get. And it was because a Presbyterian pastor and, her, and his wife loved her, opened their home to her, and invited her to come to worship that God transformed her in amazing ways so that now she's a pastor's wife. How unlikely that would have been if you had asked any of her friends all those years ago. That's what God does. And so there are amazing stories on RUF campuses all across this country. There are amazing stories in church plants all around this country. There are amazing stories by missionaries all around this world of the unlikely people that God has converted. And those that support those missionaries share in that gospel fruit. I'm excited to think of of what we share in that we don't know about. That's one of the things that um, 
encourages me that I have no idea what God has done. But one day I will. And I'm going to fall down and worship more than I ever have because of the incredible grace and mercy of God. We trust, we trust Him that there will be such fruit that we can't even think or imagine. And so Emmanuel supplies fruit as we supply the needs of gospel partners. So, back to the beginning, all of these requests for gifts come to us and seemingly overwhelm us. Uh, they, they come at a bad time because we're trying to you know, take care of family and things like that. We can't give to all of them, but we likely could give more than we could imagine. And this is because our Father supplies all of our needs in the gift, the greater gift of Jesus Christ, His Son. He provides abundantly so that we can well supply others as expressions of our faith and love because we have been well supplied by Christ Himself, in Christ Himself. Not only that, but He provides heavenly rewards, and when we support gospel partnerships, that fruit includes the conversion of unlikely people. And so we can give precisely because the great giver has given us all that we need in the gift called Emmanuel, the reason for Christmas. Let's pray. Father, overwhelm us with the enormity of that gift. Help us to see, to understand the incredible riches you have given us in Jesus Christ. Not just pardon, but righteousness. Not just righteousness, but sonship. Not just sonship, but we're seated on the throne with Jesus in the heavenly places. Wisdom. Power or strength. These and so much more through the gift of your Son. Help us to be overwhelmed so that we are overcome with worship. So our hearts are softened. And we can't help but give you praise And be generous as you have been generous to us. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.